Are we recording right now? Are we recording our banter? Damn, I should be better at banter. I didn't... Welcome back to an episode of EM Over Easy. We have uh, Tanner, Andy, Drew, the three amigos, and we're joined by Bill Frazier, our uh, esteemed program director and uh, longtime awesome EM physician. And I think the topic today is going to be wellness, something that we know a little bit about and Dr. Frazier knows a ton about. So I don't know where to go it's from here. because I'm still alive after all these years. Well, that's <laughs> the point. I'm going to go ahead and lead off with the fact that wellness is a bacon-wrapped tater tot on a stick. Yeah, so we are coming from uh, our location, DK Diner in Grandview, Ohio, and Tanner has an awesome big rep tater tot with his Bloody Mary. Talk about wellness after a night shift. <laughs> I think there may be one or two principles violated there, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, everybody has to find something that, uh, that makes them want to live. Yes. <laughs> and I think you found it. Oh. That was interesting. <clears throat> so I think today we want to talk about the key to wellness as an EM physician, because th- there's, there's a lot of difficulties with this. We've talked about this some on some previous podcasts, the, the challenge of, of being an EM physician, shift work, being gone holidays, being gone nights, uh, being away from families. My family actually just left DK Diner. Uh, but that we was doing- good right there. That was an important thing to do. You had breakfast with your family and the other two amigos. <laughs> as we awkwardly watched it on. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, 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 and then go into a night shift tonight and, or a swing shift and not see them tonight. But So if you could give us your key points to wellness, I'm sure we're going to expand and go off on a tangent from there. What would be, what's your key to your wellness? So number one thing that I've had to remember over the years, uh, is, well, I can't, I can't distill it into one. Uh, but I, w- I guess I would say the first thing I said is... keys. It was plural. It was always, not a single yeah, key. Yeah, but... Um, do you remember the movie uh, City Slickers where uh, yes. uh, Curly sit, you know, stands there and movie. says, "Is one thing and... So, Frazier, before we were interrupted by our awesome meal, you were about to tell us why City Slickers is your key to wellness. Yum. I'm on um, the edge of my seat. <laughs> well, I think everyone probably knows uh, it's when... Um, Curly before he dies. Alive Curly. Oh, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> the movie came out in 1988, I think. <laughs> it's been reviewed outside of this table, trust me. Anyway, um, Billy Crystal asks Curly what the secret to life is, and Curly leans forward and says one thing. And Billy Crystal, who likes to be a moron, said, Your finger? And right then and there, Curly should have killed him. But he didn't, and said, That's for you to figure out. And so I sort of looked at that, um, and uh, you just sort of have to figure out what at least one thing is um, that makes you you, and that makes it worth getting up in the morning and remaining the you that you are. Um, this is deep. <laughs> well, you know, you can wake up and decide you're a total a-hole, too. And then, if you come to that conclusion, you probably ought to work to change a few things. See, I feel like I'm stuck in Groundhog's Day because I wake up most mornings thinking I'm a total a-hole. Then I'm going to change it. It's going to be different. And then I wake up the next morning with the same thought. I'm glad that you addressed that because that's exactly what came to my mind as soon as he said that Actually, one that was going to be part of our next evaluation. <laughs> so, you know, for me, you all know I like bicycling. Uh, and I would, that's not the one thing that makes my life worthwhile. But if I don't get to, if I don't get that exercise, I know that um, I start feeling kind of frantic. And uh, you guys that are into exercise as well probably have similar feeling. Like if you don't get out and run, then uh, you know you start to worry about that. Um, the uh, 
And that one thing, it doesn't have to be constant um, through your entire life, because these things can change, right? Um, when you have a, a baby, quite often, I mean, getting married, having a family, that is one of those things that, um, that really drives you and, uh, and gives everything perspective and meaning. And then I, after, I found myself running a lot more when I had Teddy. Well, you know, you do get tired of them after a few years, <laughs> and you have to recognize that. <laughs> and they're pretty willing for you to go out running a lot more than you used to. Sometimes it was running with Teddy, which was nice, but sorry, I'm interrupting. No, that's, um, that's good, because I'm pretty much out. <laughs> Excuse me. So what would you say, you talked about changing throughout your career. You've had a pretty long, successful career in emergency medicine. I mean, you're, what, 70 going on 80 at this point. So <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Uh, how, how has, you look at us, we're beginning our career in emergency medicine or, you know, establishing a career in emergency medicine, and think back to when you were at our stage, how, how has your approach to wellness changed? How has it maybe improved? Or, or what are things that you wish you did differently in the beginning that you know now? So... I wouldn't. I don't try to pass myself off as a, a wellness guru. Uh, um, I guess I would say that um, early in my career, um, I came out of residency. Looking back, I was probably kind of. I was an a-hole. I was the smartest guy in the room in every situation, uh, and I made sure everyone knew it. And. I knew everything. I didn't know a thing about dealing with patients as human beings. Um, I've had to learn a lot over the years about um, about those interactions and a lot of your communication stuff from the last podcast, which, by the way, shameless plug, was outstanding. <laughs> um, and about conversations and um, you know and how to interact with nurses and how to manage patients and patient expectations. I had to learn a lot of that along the way um, because if you if you don't learn to do that, you're fighting with everyone, uh, uh, with everyone you see, and it's a lot easier to make them part of the process than it is to try and shove the process down their throats. It took me a few years to learn that. Um, I would say probably there was a point three to five years into my practice where I, I really wondered how I was going to do this for even another month, let alone for another 20 years. Um, so what was it that got you over that hump? Because there must have been there must have been an event or a conversation or a moment that an epiphany. Were, an epiphany. What was your epiphany? Um, the epiphany was that uh, um, I just sort of I, there were some outside influences, uh, um, and I realized that I wasn't the wonderful person that I thought I was. And uh, yeah, I know you're you're all shocked because <laughs> now of course I am. Yeah, it goes back <laughs> to my groundhog, groundhog game situation. Yeah. It's, uh, um, and I just, I just realized um, that I was, you have to recognize who you are and come to grips with who you are um, or else you can't ever really make any changes. And I just realized that I was, I was not in a, um, a life or a career sustaining uh, place at the time. And uh, I really had to make some changes and I just started thinking about what those changes were and a lot of that um, had to do with uh, improving customer interactions. Uh, um, I also became residency director, which uh, uh, was a big change for me. It was—it's uh, hard to believe now, but I wanted no part of the job when they first offered it to me. I thought this is ridiculous. I don't—I uh, don't want to do that. Um, we had a program director, 
becoming program director, although it was really challenging at first, it kind of gave me something new to focus on, and yeah. uh, uh, and it really became exciting. And back then, I was roughly the same age as a lot of our uh, a lot of our residents. Um, that that of course is not likely to happen again. <laughs> but uh, I think that's um, I think that's part of it, though. Is, you know, everyone thinks of wellness as being fitness and working out and doing all this kind of activity when in reality wellness has a lot more to do with balance and keeping your life equal in both directions and so part of that is going to be involving outside of work but also part of it's getting in work and how do you find something that's not I don't know how to word it exactly it's not specifically just you know showing up doing your shifts and going home but also having that extra portion of your job that invigorates you and is a little bit different than what your typical day is. And maybe that's what the program director turned into for you. So being a program director has turned into a lot of good things and, uh, you know, there is the um, uh, the decrease in clinical shifts, which is kind of nice. Uh, you know, back um, when I first came out of residency and when I first became program director, and for actually a number of years, I was still cranking 140 clinical hours a month, plus doing all the program director stuff, and and it was good. I liked it. I enjoyed the money. I enjoyed the uh, um, the challenge. But over the years, it was kind of nice when we started decreasing my clinical hours. Um, and it gave me more time to pursue outside uh, uh, activities such as uh, bicycling, reading, music. Not that I don't play an instrument, but I mean just my enjoyment of music uh, and, uh, and mowing my lawn. I do that a lot. Yeah, sometimes I feel like your generation of physicians, they're the ones that are currently actively talking about wellness. He's called you old. Yeah, kind of. You're old enough to be my dad, so we can have that conversation I'm later. old enough to be a lot of people's dads. So. <laughs> but, but your generation of docs. <laughs> your generation of physicians. You guys are the ones currently talking a lot about wellness and burnout. And I feel like part of that was is that you know, your guys' definition of a full-time job is definitely different than our generation's definition of a full-time job. Um, and even just talking with recruiters from different companies that have been doing it for a long time, they used to recruit people to work 200 hours a month. And now most grads want to work 120, and it's because we see a lot of what you really what we've been listening to your guys' um, advice of don't don't burn yourself out, don't work all the time, find something else to do outside of work. Um, and again, like Tanner said, it's not always um, running or hiking or bike biking like it's. Uh, I was at a, a meeting two weeks ago, and we talked about what he liked to do, and somebody talked about that they like to collect stamps. And they spend six to eight How hours a week. Stamp collector and emergency medicine physician. I just I don't this know. Is, this is mind-boggling. I mean, we, we, we were all think like a pathologist or a radiologist yeah, like, or something. But we all know that last year we interviewed we interviewed a candidate who their favorite thing to do was look for four leaf clovers. I mean, come on, like it, it, I forgot about all, that. All, all, oh all walks. I remember All walks of life coming to emergency medicine. But I I think that it's interesting because again that the, the conversation is currently being done by by people of your generation. But I think that it's it'll be interesting that 20 years from now, when our generation is at that stage, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about burnout. Do you think what, it's, what will we be talking? Do you think it's because we're listening to our elders, or do you think that we're just lazy and we don't want to work? It's probably okay. somewhere in the middle, so, to be honest. I mean, obviously, um, so I came, you know, I'm the baby boomer generation, yeah. so I came just after the greatest generation, uh, you know, the one that saved the world Thank one you, Tom World Brokaw. War II. <laughs> Thank you to Tom Brokaw. Um, good luck and good night. And... Uh, and and so my generation was uh, one of the, probably the first ones that really believed in the American dream that if you work hard and you kill yourself, you're going to get ahead. And now I think we're seeing that that's less possible. Uh, you know, e economics have changed significantly. Um, 
we look at, um, I remember I was talking to a resident once who was very satisfied being an average emergency physician, which to me is inconceivable that you're okay with being average. And I, you know, from my point of view, it was like, how can you not try to be the best you possibly can be every day? And he was like, hey, it's good enough. <laughs> you know, and that, um, and you know, and, but, um, to get back to what Andy said about hours, you're right. I mean, we we start well, we and uh, half a generation before me started emergency medicine, um, and to crank out 160, 200. I mean, look at Johnson. Ron still wants to work 180 hours a month, and he gets cranky when he doesn't get that much. Um, I think. You look at the cost along the way. I mean, if you do 200 hours a month for 20 years, um, you're, you, wonder, you start to wonder what you're going to miss over all that time. Yeah. And yeah, you can, you know, you can have the biggest house, and you might have a, uh, a Mercedes and whatnot. But you know, Mercedes doesn't get you any place any quicker than my Toyota does. Uh, I might disagree with that. Well, only because get, it is a faster car, not because it's any better. It's uh, <laughs> well, it'll, it'll get you there faster, but you might have some police trailing <laughs> along the way. <laughs> and I think that's important to limit the clinical hours to a sustainable amount um, and do other things. You know, if you can't you can't just focus on one thing for your entire life. Um, you know, I was uh, a couple years ago. I was getting to the point where I was ready to step down as program director, and then this ACGME thing came along, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that's a renewed purpose. Now I want to be the guy that gets our program ACGME certified, and now that it is, you know, I might tank it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you just but, said has been my biggest takeaway from the conversation. Is there's there's a lot of things that go into wellness, but. One of the biggest themes that you've talked about and mentioned over and over again without saying is reinventing yourself. Absolutely. And, and the you you were when you started is different than the you you are now, and it's because you recognize problems along the way, you found new challenges. I mean, I can even say in, in my short career, I reinvented myself just by going to medical school where I saw the writing on the wall that being a firefighter and paramedic wasn't going to be fulfilling long term for me and that I wanted to do something different and something more, and that was my decision. And, and I will reinvent over and over again. So listening to this conversation, I think that is the number one thing for me is remembering to continue to reinvent who I am and who I want to be as I go through this career process. So I think you clearly have accomplished that so far, and, and I think you'll continue to accomplish it as you, uh, you figure out what's next and after this ACGME thing is uh, coming to a close. And I think the dovetail on that, to use a term, Ooh, dovetail. To use a term in the Tanner used a couple episodes ago, that post hoc is actually used inappropriately, by the way. It was appropriately used. Questionable. Questionable. Appropriate. Um, I think that it's one thing that for listeners is that it's okay to, when we talk about having things, being okay with reinventing yourself, you know, we're, we're taught to make these 10-year goals and these five-year goals. And I mean, I sat down and made my five-year goals as an attending, and there was a lot of question marks. It was, here are some soft dates of where, you know, if I want to stay in education, this is where I think I need to be in five years. But if for some reason education doesn't fit, you're rushing me in five years, and it's being okay with knowing that you don't have to have an answer when people say what you want to do in your life. Just say, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to go to work and it's going to get figured out. You know? And then um, also being okay with knowing that if for somewhere along the way where you think you're going isn't working, that we have the benefit of having the option of being like, I'm going to go work somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. So it is one of the awesome parts about our job. Well, I think we've pretty much nailed 
wellness and an awesome conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're I actually have more I wanted to say. I have no <laughs> doubt you did, but I think we've exceeded our, our uh, podcast time. But we're going to yeah. be back with part two of, uh, with Dr. Frederick here in a little bit. And so thanks so much for joining, and, and we'll talk again soon. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Sir.